Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Streets Ahead, a podcast dedicated to active travel, livable streets, and people-focused urban design. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Laura Laker. And welcome to this, our ninth episode. Now, this week, by popular demand, we are leaving London, and a lot of you will be sighing with relief at that. In fact, we're going to the West Midlands, figuratively, not literally, except for Adam, who is literally in the West Midlands and always likes to, quite rightly, to remind us so. But joining us uh, today is Councillor Wazim Zaffer, the Cabinet Member for Transport and the Environment at Birmingham City Council. Now, Wasim, can you start by telling us about your particular cycling journey? What got you into the idea of active travel? Uh, uh, the cycling journey that I've been uh, part of is quite interesting. For the first 37 years of my life, I'd never been on a bike. So up until two years ago, I'd, I'd never been on a bike. And for a, an obese uh, type 2 diabetic, um, you know, the, you, you can understand the challenges that uh, my, my life's had. And I've been type 2 diabetic since the age of 25. Um, and my story is quite common for many South, South Asian kids because cycling generally is a white middle class hobby or a, or a sport, however you, you wish like to, to call it. And um, so two years ago, uh, very soon after I was appointed to the role of cabinet member for transport and started talking about walking and cycling as a real option against private car. Uh, I took that very uh, scary journey to learn how to ride a bike. And I did it in a very public way on social media with the help of big Birmingham bikes. Uh, and honestly, I, I was so nervous. It was unbelievable. But the buzz of cycling in Hansworth Park, my my local park, uh, within minutes of being on the bike for the first time was uh, I, I, I quite clearly realized I'd, I missed something, something uh, quite, quite huge. But so... For me, it's it's you know there's a lot of people that talk about commuter journeys by cycling. There's there's people that talk about um, cycling as a hobby. I think cycling is around reversing health inequalities and tackling some of those real issues that exist in our in our communities. And uh, you know, 
my my word of Lazelle's where I've, where I, I'm a counselor, where I went to school, I've grown up, has uh, the lowest male life expectancy in the city. It's got major major health challenges, as have many areas in Birmingham and uh, 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 inner city areas across the country. So I think cycling can be used to 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 tackle some of those real health issues that exist in our in our communities. Wazim, um, my I, I kind of. My experience of cycling in Birmingham is limited, I have to say, but um, I think off the top of my head, the last time I I did it was about maybe five or six years ago when I was doing, um, um, and I did it for a couple of successive years, actually. I was doing a job in Redditch, just south of Birmingham. And uh, in order to do that, I live in London. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. took my bike up to Birmingham New Street Station and cycled from from Birmingham down to Redditch, spent the night there actually and cycled back the next day, which is, I, I, don't, I can't remember how, how many miles, it's a few miles, isn't it? Um, and I was actually really struck by how good, relatively good that the, the, that particular cycle route was and how safe it was, um, but how extraordinarily underused it was. Um, I seem to be the only person doing it. This is sort of five or six years ago. And it did strike me at the time that, that there's uh, Birmingham has a lot of potential in that it's not terribly hilly, unlike Sheffield or, or a lot of the Yorkshire conurbations or Newcastle. Um, uh, so, and it's the right kind of size to really embrace a cycling revolution. And it struck me with some of the wide roads as well that it, this was um, eminently feasible. If I if I came back tomorrow to do that journey or indeed cycle around Birmingham, what would I see? How how will it have um, changed? Do you think? So, so Ned, what one of the key things you'll see is the uh, segregated cycle lane for the city centre that will take you, I think, three or four kilometres down the A A38. So, probably half your journey to to Redditch will be through segregated cycle lanes. And if you came uh, in August, hopefully you'll get a pop up cycle lane which enhances and that and takes it f- further afield. Um, I think in Birmingham, uh, a city which is classified as one of the motor cities in the UK, the love for private car I- is there and. Unfortunately, despite having policy, which for a number of years has looked to uh, take space away from private car, a private car for walking, cycling and public transport, we've actually not implemented it. Uh, and we've, we've uh, as decision makers, we've been quite scared in a way to take on motorists um, and all our decisions, whether they go, you go back to the 70s or even before that and, and the concrete colour in, in Birmingham have been focused around prioritising private car over people. It's not over uh, car, uh, over walking or cycling or public transport. For me, it's over people and people's life chances because that's this is what this really is about. So moving forward, um, you know, we've got quite a radical plan. Uh, we, we had the draft transport plan, which we uh, published in January, so pre-COVID, which looked at uh, really changing uh, not just the city centre, but real creating uh, active neighbourhoods. Uh, we're call it, calling it places for people where we reduce the traffic, uh, reduce the speed of traffic in those areas and let people dominate by walking and cycling. Um, and then, you know, uh, in response to COVID, COVID's created massive challenges for, for us as society. But one of the things we've done is uh, taken the opportunity to build on uh, the, the, the increase in leisure cycling during during the lockdown uh, to introduce a number of key uh, um, pop-up cycle lanes over the next eight weeks. We're really pleased that we've we've got a million quid off the gov- government by the regional authority, topped up by £600,000, which we had left from other cycling projects, to deliver these 14 projects, seven pop-up cycle lanes, low-traffic neighbourhoods, um, park and pedal, 
and a number of other things. So we're quite excited moving forward, but there's the challenges because uh, cycling is Marmite currently in the city. Uh, you know, you, you'll get uh, some people who are demanding more, which is fantastic. And then I'll get other people who are absolutely trolling me on social media, you know, that I'm anti-car and what have you. But this is about people. This is about life chances. It's about reversing health inequalities. This is going, going to happen. Simple as that. Um, we've seen across the, across the country, and it's great to hear you, you know, talk like that, but we've seen other cities other towns other regions with less boldness um you know pulling out um pop-up cycle lanes after 48 hours or you know drastically changing the town centers just on the you know the feedback of a couple of shopkeepers after you know a couple of days which um you know no one ever opened the m42 and gone oh it's not really full yet we should probably close it um so i, I often think that um there's there's this worry from local councillors of of, of um that obviously feedback from their public people that that vote for them. How how do you how do you what do you think about that? How do you approach that? Because um, obviously it must be on your mind. You know there are some vocal people in the city, um, but you seem to have just kind of managed to to do what you're doing regardless of that, which not many local councillors in this country have have done. So out of this, there's two things. In 2018, there was a massive democratic change in Birmingham. Uh, we went to all out elections for councillors every four years rather than an election every year. Uh, and when you have an election every year, one third of your councillors have just got elected and the other third go into campaigning mode. So what the electoral feel, uh, and as councillors, if we get two or three people writing to us, we get we get nervous automatically. So having that four-year period to deliver projects enable us to make some tough decisions as year one and two. And by year four, when people go back to uh, the people, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, to the ballot box, uh, we've seen the fruit of those decisions. And most importantly, the communities have seen that. Uh, and, the, and the other thing is, I, th I think we... Uh, we really need to look at the, the, the challenges that we've got in, in culture. And I'll give you another example. In Birmingham, uh, I'm getting areas like Mosley, Kingsheath, Bourneville, you know, white middle-class neighbourhoods who are demanding more cycling. It's brilliant. These are quick wins, low-hanging fruit. But for me, what's more important is some of those inner city areas, which are largely BAME dominated, where cycling levels are incre incredibly low in those areas, where health inequalities are high. And we've seen the impact of COVID there. It's been you know, huge because there's, there's massive issues. There's cultural issues there around, around how people move. And you know, there's some houses in my, in my ward and across inner city Birmingham, which has got three cars per household, four cars per household, walking you know, doesn't exist. Cycling is, is, is absolutely not an option. So whether they're traveling a mile or 20 miles in those neighborhoods, it's all about private car. And we have to change that if we're going to move forward and, and, and really tackle some of the real issues that exist in our community, there has to be a, a cultural change and, and we need ambassadors and advocates to lead that. Uh, and that's the one thing that, you know, I, I, I work very closely with the cycling groups in, in, in Birmingham and, and, and some of the environmental groups, and they're absolutely getting and they're helping us drive this forward. Because if we are going to win the hearts and minds of our communities, it's going to be those key community advocates in our communities, rooted in our communities, who are going to help us uh, make, the, make these changes. Um, I, I saw a video of you, actually. You talked about learning to cycle at, that, what was it, 37? I saw a video of you on, on YouTube and I was like, he can't just be learning to cycle because you look like you'd already been doing it. It was amazing. But um, yeah, it turns out it's true. So um, yeah, it's, it's interesting about the, um, 
you know, about cycling, like you say, being being sort of traditionally white in this country and the challenges that you have around getting more people on bikes from BAME communities. Um, and you talked about ambassadors. Obviously, the West Midlands doesn't have a full time cycling commissioner at the moment. Is that is that one of the um, one of the roles that would help to get more people from BAME communities on bikes? It's it's going to be quite a big change, isn't it? If people are wedded to their cars, maybe they don't want to cycle. So, Laura, for me, it's it's not necessarily having a West Midlands wide ambassador, but it's having those people in the communities. And you know, there, there's a couple of projects which which I, I think have been phenomenal. There's uh, the Saheli Women's Hub, uh, which is led by uh, Nasi Makhtar, and they're part of the, uh, the Active Wellbeing Society now. And and big Birmingham bikes. And, and she's done an incredible job with her team because she goes into a community and not only does she get women who've traditionally not uh, gone beyond the local school gate by by foot, get some walking, get some, you know, they've run marathons. Uh, and they've been, you know, they did the velo uh, a couple of years ago in the middle of Ramadan, a shorter version of the velo on the day. Um, but it was fantastic. And that's where they close the streets to uh, to motor traffic through Absolutely. Birmingham, isn't it? Absolutely. So you know, uh, miles and miles across Birmingham and the West Midlands, where we closed it up, and, and to see uh, fifty Muslim women, some of them wearing hijab, some of them you know wearing traditional clothes, um, out there on bikes together, supporting each other, then. What Nassim does, which is absolutely amazing, she trains them up to be ambassadors, to go out and work with women. So for me, they are the real ambassadors. Uh, and there's a group of Bangladeshi, uh, predominantly men, uh, who come who are part of Nokabais, which is a, uh, a dragon boat racing festival that happens once a year, which is an amazing event in itself. And what they've done is started to cycle uh, initially uh, and then got others in their community, particularly a lot of the restaurant workers. And the last time some of them cycled was back in Bangladesh. Uh, um, so, you know, the getting, getting them back on the bikes has been quite an incredible journey. Now they're getting their families to cycle. But one of the ch- clear challenges we see is, um, you know, it's, it's brilliant. We're putting some infrastructure in, but there are real issues about accessibility to bikes. So big Birmingham bikes have, have handed out 7,000 free bikes over the years to particularly people from, you know, who've got health challenges and, and, and socioeconomic, uh, deprived backgrounds. Um, but we need to be, need to absolutely realize there are those challenges in families. I had a conversation the other day with somebody, uh, one of the local youth workers was working with a group saying somebody wants to take his daughter out on a bike, but they can't afford a bike. So what do we do there? So I think there's real issues there. You know, putting the infrastructure is really, really important. That's safe infrastructure for people like me who've never cycled before. This isn't about people who've been cycling for, for years and do the velo and stuff like that. This is safe cycling infrastructure for people who've never been on a bike. But we have also got to look at the um, uh, absolute at the accessibility to bikes to because that is at times a big, big barrier. Wazim, just picking up on on what you just said, a um, couple of things struck me actually. One is the uh, and it, uh, it's very fresh in my imagination now because it's just passed. But the um, the British National Cycling Road Race Championships were supposed to be happening in Birmingham uh, this year, but obviously they've been postponed because of COVID. And the the um, the Velo event, what's it called, the Velothon or something? I can't remember exactly what it's called. Was going to be running in tandem with them and the mass participation ride. So that's a that's just a real shame. There's nothing we can do about that, and hopefully it'll come back next year. Um, but equally, I completely agree with you about this um, this rush towards getting sort of uh, high profile ambassadors who, who who maybe aren't necessarily kind of too committed 
uh, to the role and the extreme importance of getting people who believe in it and who are embedded in the community. I couldn't agree more. I think it's um, that's much more powerful tools, sort of micro seeding people uh, uh, through, throughout the community to actually affect change on a, on a street level, if you like, and uh, change hearts and minds in that way. I think that's absolutely the right approach. Um, and it just struck me that, um, especially talking about, I mean, I, I increasingly um, understand that the word BAME is a, is a bit of a kind of word we should move on from because it strikes me as a very blunt tool to describe very disparate communities. Um, I have been doing a bit of work recently with uh, a wonderful charity called The Bike Project. Um, some of their work is done in London who provide, uh, they, they provide donated bikes that they then do up and they donate to um, refugee communities refugees, asylum seekers, people who are here who are otherwise cut adrift from from um, funding streams or work and uh, need bikes. And they really need bikes. And I at first, I kind of wondered whether this was just a worthy project that a bunch of uh, middle, middle class white people were doing with no great kind of access to the people they're trying to get the bikes to. Turns out I was completely wrong. You know, the demand for bike project services is way, way outstrips their actual ability to supply their client group, for want of a better word. They have a waiting list of something like 700 in London, uh, people who, who, who want their bikes. So the biggest uh, determinant of all of this is the need, isn't it, really, ultimately? These, the, the, these communities need bikes because they can't afford, to, even if they wanted to, they can't afford to jump on the tube in London or, or jump on a bus or get, let alone think of getting in a car. So it, it's making that kind of connection between uh, cycling as a proposition and cycling as a solution and getting that message out in, in the communities that I think you, you seem to be particularly kind of engaged in. Have I got that right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the other things we've we've done to ensure that there's that direct connection is we've set up community cycling hubs, uh, some of them based in local parks. And so uh, working with the Active Wellbeing Society, we put 30 odd bikes in there uh, with a couple of trained uh, uh, people from the local community. The important thing is having, you know, it's not people parachuting in from outside the neighborhood, but people in that neighborhood who have a passion for cycling. Uh, some of them have been on a journey like I have, but you know the key thing is they, they, they're they trained up and they're able to help others. Um, uh, and they've got 30-odd bikes there. And I was talking to the, the local uh, community cycling company in, Bur- in, in Lazelles, uh, the one that's most local to me. Their bikes have gone and, and people are using them uh, during this, this period of time. That is the key thing. And through the trackers that we've got on these orange bikes, our big Birmingham bikes, the, the ones that we hand out, are all orange and there's a key tracker on there. We can monitor how many how many miles there. I think there was something like 200,000 miles in the first quarter of, of this year carried out uh, with those free bikes, 197,000. And even though in the in a, there was a bit of a dip early on in March because of the uncertainty that COVID initially created. Uh, so, I, you know, that's amazing. It's, it's fantastic to see those bikes, but we need more. I, I, I get emails and, and challenged on social media at the time around those free bikes. Uh, so I'll be really, really keen to see how, you know, the West Midlands would use this extra resource that we've got from the government uh, to, to, to ensure that we've got those bikes. Because the other problem we've had in the West Midlands is the, the bike share project failed. Uh, the Mayor Andy Street was very quick to get some pictures in the soft launch of Wolverhampton, but it collapsed very soon after. Uh, and he needs to get that right very, very quickly. He needs to get a lot right, but things like that are very, very important to our region. Yeah, and um, I, I spoke to Andy Street a couple of weeks ago for um, a Guardian article, and he said the next bike 
is being revitalized. They're deciding on a supplier in July and they're hoping to roll it out starting um, throughout this year. So 2020. Um, so you, to you, that's going to be it. That's going to be helpful yeah. for people who don't have access. Yeah, we to live bikes. in hope, Laura. Uh, I'm not quite. I'm not as confident as he is with with, with that. And it's been really disappointing. And I, this is not me playing politics, but generally, Andy, Andy Street's approach to walking and cycling has been literally non-existent, even during this COVID period of time. And you know, you've got people like Boris Johnson, Grant Shapps, making very strong national statements around walking and cycling, but yet the mayor of the West Midlands is is is. No, not said much much at all and his actions are around walking and cycling since he took office have been virtually non-existent too uh, yeah I, I am so this was a this was a, um, a big piece of the guardian that i wrote um that was published recently and um because i'd heard him speaking at a conference and he'd said that with the best will in the world in a region like ours you're only going to get five percent of people cycling and the propensity to cycle tool, which is an academic analysis of how many people you can get cycling in a specific region based on the trips that people are already doing, said 39% in areas like Wolverhampton. So it did see, seem hugely um, underwhelming in, in terms of ambition. He told me there's no lack of desire ambition. It's a question of how rapidly we can assemble the funding as it was not here historically. Um, and he said, he, I actually think we've done a, a pretty decent job. But in terms of um, the, the sort of region-wide plans, the sort of 200 kilometers compared with Manchester, which has got um, a huge amount more um, with their B network, um, 1,800 miles, uh, the 620 miles in Sheffield, um, and Leicester's adding a mile a week during the COVID crisis to its active travel network. Um, and so I think the feeling among people that I'd spoken to was was the same um, was as you said. I, um, and it does seem like there is a huge um, appetite actually in the West Midlands for cycling. I think it's got one of the highest unmet demands for cycling, according to Sustrans. They interviewed a load of people in the area who said that they would love to cycle, but most people don't feel like it's safe enough on the roads. So it, it does seem to have been a bit of a disappointment from that region. Yeah, uh, uh, we, we've been at loggerheads with uh, some of the opposition parties, uh, pre-COVID really, you know, even when we launched the the Birmingham Transport Plan, uh, we were attacked by Conservative colleagues for being anti-car, whereas we were pro-people, uh, because for me, uh, you know, improving walking and cycling measures is all about improving people's life chances and uh, and making them their health and well-being a lot, a lot stronger. Uh, and it's quite ironic that some of the things we were saying around reducing traffic and uh, car traffic in the city centre in Birmingham, uh, which which they attacked, is something that the, the government is now encouraging as a post-COVID uh, opportunity that most uh, towns and cities need to take up. But I just think that the level of ambition that we've had in the region for cycling over many years, uh, and this is not just about industry, it's just been generally it's not been taken seriously and it's not been seen as a real option. But whereas now people are absolutely excited about walking cycling, we've got the e-scooters trial where, you know, I think that's going to be a major game changer in our efforts to tackle uh, congestion and and improve air quality within this city too. Uh, so there, there's a lot of positives and I know there's the phenomenon of e-bikes e that's growing too. And I see uh, e-scooters and e-bikes as a journey to push bikes uh, uh, for 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 uh, certain communities, in particular those who are reluctant to make the change from private car to 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 a normal bike uh, initially, um, but I, you know, and look, we're not going to be popular. Not everyone's going to to agree with what we've got to do, especially when you take road space away from private car. But we have to do, it. and and for me, we will only get the change in 
from from uh, the modal shift uh, in in certain sections when they are when they do see themselves stuck in traffic in in in, in Birmingham, spending hours and hours behind a steering wheel, and yet you've got public transport, you know, getting bus priority, you get cyclists getting their own space, um, uh, and people, you know, ultimately could. In, in some areas, could walk faster than people. You know, cars can travel in certain areas. So, I think we, I think ultimately we will get the shift then. Uh, but we have to be brave. We have, and and for me, COVID's created that opportunity uh, and has been a catalyst uh, on this journey. Uh, so, you know, Birmingham's aspiration for I think five percent by uh, of journeys by 2023 and 10 percent by 2033. I think we can fast forward that by 10 years. I think 10 percent by 2023 and 20 percent by 2033 is something that we really need to be looking to do, looking to do. Uh, I, and it's not just going to be segregated cycle lanes, but it's you know things like low traffic neighborhoods. I think that in, in communities in neighborhoods that it, that will be massive. Uh, we did put in for the uh, a submission into government to for a, to become a 20 mile per hour default city uh, because 90 percent of the roads in in Birmingham are residential roads. Uh, so it'd be a lot cheaper for us to to go down the route of becoming a blanket 20 mile per hour city and just put the repeater signs on 10 percent of the roads. It's economically a lot more viable. But the government's come back and said continue doing the rollout of 20 mile per hour zone. So, so what they're saying to me is continue paying loads and loads of money to do all these little neighborhoods. Uh, ultimately, we could still become a 90 mile, 90% 20 mile per hour city uh, through those smaller neighborhoods, but it'll just take a lot longer and cost a lot more money. So I'm quite disappointed with, with the, the government's response. But I've heard that Wales are, as a regional government, are looking at this very, very uh, careful, carefully. So uh, let's see what comes comes about that. I think um, just just on the politics side, it's obviously um, for people that don't know in the in the region. Obviously, West Midlands is is largely other than just a couple of local authorities is largely Labour, uh, and obviously Andy Street is a um, is a Conservative um, mayor. I think the, my view, uh, working in you know working in Coventry as as, as bicycle mayor, is that I can both lend itself to you know opportunities but also you know has its has its issues in terms of collaboration so i think one thing we have got in having a conservative mayor is we have seen that the the national body the national kind of uh, narrative um from central government is becoming quite pro cycling as you say with grant chaps being quite bold and obviously stuff coming from boris johnson one thing that i think politics aside though that really frustrates me uh, and we've got in common i'm you know i'm in coventry you're in birmingham we're motor cities um you know we we seem to not quite be able to move away politically certainly in coventry as even as in labor um and, and from andy street we can't move away from the the car industry i'm not talking about car usage but private car manufacturer and in Coventry especially we're we're obsessed with electrification so you know we think that by making all our cars e-cars and all our traffic jams e-traffic jams that somehow we're going to solve uh, solve all of our our issues and uh, you know I can see that that's not going to be the case and I just I know that when um, when you launched your plan there was some opposition um discussions on you know uh, you know almost a war on the motor industry what do you you know what what do we think Osim, on 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 that topic you know can the midlands ever shake off this motor city um kind of label and is the power you know we know that the car lobby has an incredible amount of power and employment power i think it's something like two percent of all jobs uh in in the west midlands i believe so you know how do we get 
past that and how do we start to encourage people to look outside this kind of the way it's always been done, the status quo that hasn't worked for us particularly well since the 1960s and 70s? So, so I think shifting 10 or 20% of the journeys from private car to cycling is not going to make a, a dent on, on, on the motor industry. I think that's a that's a false economy as far as I'm concerned. I think the, the real thing here is, so, so, so for us in, in Birmingham, a quarter of the journeys on any normal day of a mile long are by car. Uh, uh, so, you know, we get 300,000 daily journeys in Birmingham, um, less than one mile by car. And it's how we can shift those journeys. So these are to the local school, to a local high street, to the go, go see your friend around the corner, go to a local coffee shop, go to the library. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. So it's how we can shift those journeys from private car to, to, to walking and cycling. And, and I think we've seen some real brave political leadership in some cities. And, you know, the, the Paris uh, mayor election most recently where, the, 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 you know, the most, you know, her principal political commitment, uh, uh, the, you know, number one thing on a, on a manifesto was creating 15 minute uh, cities within, within Paris to get people more, you know, walking and cycling. And, you know, a real, you know, that, that for me again was 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 phenomenal. And that that there's been a clear political shift in in what people are saying, and I, I'm very hopeful that our mayoral candidate uh, Liam Byrne, uh, will you know who absolutely gets the importance of walking and cycling, absolutely gets the the, the importance of protecting the motor industry and protecting those jobs. But they, they, I, for me, there is no conflict there. Um, you know, it's putting some cycle lanes in a pop up lanes in, in, to, to help people walk and cycle is not going to you know, we're not we're not going to end up losing uh, hundreds and hundreds of jobs in the motor industry. There's been other challenges in the motor industry, uh, and in particular, the, the developments and the competition we've had from other countries when it comes to the uh, motor industry, which have a bigger dent uh, on, on our challenges in the West Midlands. But I think with strong political will, and sometimes, you know, we we will, you know, we, we need to take the communities on a journey with us. We need to work with them. But when they start to see some of the results in some neighbourhoods, I think there'll be greater demand for more and more change in our city and across our region too. So you've got um, 1.6 million to spend on this emergency transport plan. Uh, you announced in mid-May that you were going to be um, doing a load of stuff, including um, pop-up cycleways, park and pedal, low traffic neighbourhoods, pavement widening, um, et cetera, et cetera. I'm wondering how, how far you've got so far and what the timescale is for you, for these plans. So Laura, we've, we've literally uh, just had the announcement from government. They'll give us a million pound and we'll, we'll top that up with another 600,000. So we've got eight weeks to deliver that. Uh, and we will deliver that in the six weeks. This is tranche one. Uh, and at the same time, we'll start working on tranche two projects. Uh, and for me, by September, when hopefully schools, colleges and universities and, and most people are back to work, uh, we will have uh, further further projects. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, very excited with with regard. And ultimately, these are temporary measures, but I'd like to see uh, most, if not all of these, become permanent measures moving forward. Um, so it's, it's exciting. And, you know, as long as we get the resource to, to, to make these changes, uh, we've got a clean air zone coming next year. And we know that there'll be quite a considerable amount of resource generated from that, which will be, have to be reinvested into improving air quality and improving how people move uh, across our city. Um, I, I will invest a lot of that money into walking and cycling measures too. So we're absolutely uh, hell-bent on ensuring that we've got a fit-for-purpose infrastructure. Uh, but just to repeat what I said earlier, we also need to ensure that we've got bikes. And one of the commitments that our leaders made in terms of the Commonwealth Games coming in 2022, uh, you know, a legacy for us will be every child in Birmingham has access to a bike. 
Uh, and that's the sort of legacy that that we want from such an amazing opportunity, uh, which is the Commonwealth Games. So we're on a real, real journey where we're willing to make these bold and brave decisions because they're the right decisions. They're the decisions that will get more people walking, get more people cycling. We'll, you know, we think we'll save massive amounts of money over the, in the long term from our NHS, uh, NHS expenditure in the city. So it's, it'll be well worth it. And people will live longer. People will live healthier. Uh, so the benefits are, are hugely outweigh uh, the, the, the challenges that we're currently facing. Listen, Wazim, um, I can I can tell how committed you are to this and how passionate you are about it. You're a tremendous ally uh, to have uh, in in Birmingham Council, and I wish you you know more power to your arm because uh, I, I I don't think there's anything that you said throughout that entire interview that I didn't wholeheartedly agree with. Um, so uh, my 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 fervent hope is that I can renew my my two wheeled acquaintance with your city uh, at the soonest possible opportunity when this lockdown eases and I can get back to. Uh, the real world and the real world in your case is Birmingham. So, um, yeah, good, good luck, good luck affecting that. And, um, let's, let's hope that, yeah, mate, even if, even if 50% of what you've, uh, hoped for, uh, c- comes to fruition, then it's going to be a revolutionary change. Thanks very much, uh, Wasim. And thanks for contributing to our podcast. Thanks, Ned, Adam and Laura. Thank you all for, for having me on. Cheers. So, uh, well, that was a welcome break from our metropolitan bubble, wasn't it, uh, Laura, th- uh, to which you and I are, are wholeheartedly signed up members and Adam isn't. Um, uh, but it's really interesting what he had to say. Um, I know that Wazim uh, was also very keen, Adam, to talk about canals and we didn't give him time to talk about canals because famously Birmingham has more canals than the moon and Venice combined or something like that. There's some statistic like that, isn't there? But I mean, so, yeah. so, so there are a bunch of canals and they are a bit underutilised as well. So I know that that was a, on his agenda as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't get a chance to mention, but he quickly mentioned afterwards that the Birmingham is looking at a, a kind of a joined up integrated approach at the canal network. And this, in my view, and I know in Laura's view as well, can't come um, soon enough. There is a um, there is a, a worrying kind of status quo in, in the Midlands that because we have these canal networks, we, we have cycling infrastructure. Um, and, you know, when I recommended to Coventry Council that they create a key worker corridor to the local hospital, they pointed out that it was a nice meandering river route that went to the hospital um, that, that people could use. And um, for, for me, that's, you know, that's not good enough. And I think from Law's article in The Guardian um, that, that was, you know, excellent for the West Midlands, the thing that really stuck out for me is, you know, Andy Street, talking about canals, standing in front of canals, talking about cycling. And the very same day as talking to Laura, two women were pushed off their bikes into canals uh, in Birmingham. So it's very clear that that canals aren't safe cycling infrastructure. Yes, they serve a purpose and I cycle on canals and you know, in some places it's a very nice leisure activity. Um, and if you've got a very specific commute, it might do okay for you, but we shouldn't fall into, you know, fall into the trap of thinking that canals are genuine cycling infrastructure because they're not lit. They don't have CCTV. They're not good surfaces. Um, and there's a, there's a massive, you know, instead of being close past, you're being literally close past by water wherever you go, uh, which isn't, uh, isn't that much fun. Yeah. Uh, there are, there, it's a hopeless misunderstanding of what cycling is, isn't it? To think that you can share uh, pedestrian spaces and, and cycling along canal towpaths. I mean, it's self-evidently a nonsense. The only, the only time I can, in my lived experience that I actually think canals and cycling really work fantastically well is on the Surrey Canal 
which runs through uh, from central London down towards Peckham and southeast London. But that has the massive advantage of being filled in with earth. Uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's no longer a canal. It's no longer a canal. I mean, uh, I don't know when it was filled in, but it, you know, you basically there's a strip. You can look at it on the map. There's a strip of uh, green cycleway and pedestrian way that is some um, canal width, but has no water, which is a huge advantage. I mean, that is some, that is an opportunity for us. If we, you know, I think we're going to get some people writing in on this, but um, perhaps, <laughs> Bring it perhaps on. we could just, perhaps we could just fill in the entire canal network. Um, <laughs> it's bad news, uh, it's bad news for host season's holidays, I think, um, that's I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, I think one of the reasons that they're not filling it, they're not, um, they haven't lit the canals in Birmingham actually is because it's part of the industrial heritage. And I think some people are arguing as so Andy street uh, hinted when we chatted that uh, some people are arguing that they shouldn't be lit because presumably because they're part of the industrial heritage. But yeah, it was that whole week was quite bizarre because he started off, you know, it, it started off with, um, you know, a summer of uh, walking and cycling and you look at, he's just standing on this canal and then you think, imagine that at night it's, there's like, Massive tall built there, like broken windows, tall, abandoned looking buildings, graffiti. And then it apparently goes nowhere. There's like some bridges and it looks like you'd have to get off and duck to get under it. I'm not sure. Maybe there's some stairs that you'd have to hoik your bike up. But yeah, terrifying. And then he's like, come and cycle, you know, come to Birmingham, come and cycle the canal network. And then literally that evening, a load of women got pushed in. It is terrifying. I was, um, I was cycling on some canals at the weekend, kind of by accident. I plotted a route ended up on this bloody canal near me and um it was it was awful it was so it was so so narrow it's just not a commuter route and like you said Ned it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what cycling is and i think represents perhaps the attitude in from the leadership in the west midlands where you know if you don't cycle you don't understand cycling as a commuter thing you think oh well Cycling's a holiday thing. You can go on the canals. It's fine. It's but that's just, I, um, just not how I, it works Laura. I put out to Twitter just before we started recording. You know anything that anyone wants to wants to raise on this podcast. So a little bit of feedback. I don't know if I'll be, be able to sort of raise all the issues that came my way. But somebody called Chris Nicholson uh, in Aberdeen, I think, made a wonderfully clear point that had never occurred to me before. That chimes with what you've just said. In that um, people often people uh, in policymaking positions confuse. Uh, cycling as a replacement for walking, but not as a replacement for driving. Um, uh, uh, so it's so in terms of yeah, distance and point. speed. Um, and that's so true, isn't it? I think that's very true because it's that's why we end up with all this, you know, infrastructure that that requires you to kind of stop every thirty yards and wait and uh, and slow down and all that sort of thing. So I think it's a really it's a really very good point, and I hadn't considered that before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, really good point. Um, so what do we think about, obviously, um, Councillor Zaffa has, uh, talks a good game on cycling. What do, what do we think, uh, his chances of, uh, of delivering in Birmingham would be good yeah. to see, wouldn't it? I guess, I guess the proof will be in what he, what he manages to roll out between now and September. Him I think the team. proof is in, you know, proof is always in the, in the pudding with these things, but I, I do have a certain amount of, you know, very, I think, um, well-placed hope in in what Birmingham can achieve because of the reasons um, Wasim mentioned early on in his interview about the political will and also very simply, which not a lot of people consider, the four-year term. Um, 
And we, we have a, we have an issue in lots of cities in, uh, and lots of county towns and things like that, um, where you're seeing councillors just kind of like losing their, um, like losing their nerve and, and, you know, doing the right thing and then sort of having to track back on based on, um, based on like aggro from, from people in cars. And I, I think the really important thing you need is people that have got a good, control of their brief um and uh will seem clearly um you know is very well read on the topic you know new to new to it and i think that's the brilliant thing i always think one of the best opportunities is to get you know counselors on bikes and show them what it's like and he's obviously taken it upon himself to to do that and and once you see this stuff you can't unsee it and and obviously um similar to i guess Boris Johnson is rumoured to have, you know, his uh, his sort of cycling focus has come from the fact that he be- believed that his um, kind of uh, obesity um, was linked to to a higher percept- higher um, susceptibility to to COVID. So, um, you know, I think I think having that personal experience is is really great, and having that leadership. What I find in some places, the person who has you know where I am um, in in uh, in Coventry, but also in Warwickshire and, and many other towns and cities and county councils. Um, the transport dude is normally a dude. It's just the the kind of person who who has the role and 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 really doesn't have any you know any kind of interest in it at all uh and and you can see their their faces when you ask them a question or someone comes in as ah oh, this is like one of the hardest briefs because just everyone hates me um and and i i think that we're seeing clearly is in control of his brief um, and, and, and is, and we've seen it in Hackney, haven't we? Um, and we've seen it in Leicester with the, with um, the deputy mayor who we had on the podcast um, very clearly got a vision and, and a four year term to deliver that vision and wants to be judged, not, not on the amount of emails they've received that week, but by their legacy that they leave in the fourth year. And, and evidence shows, I think in Waltham Forest, it shows in Paris, uh, if you are kind of unwaveringly bold, and say this is what we can do, and you deliver something, then people will go and vote with their feet, um, and that's that seems like a good a good thing if we've got that kind of leadership and long term view, um, which we have in Birmingham, but seemingly not in other parts of the Midlands, and unfortunately not in parts of the the country. Anne Hidalgo is the the name of the mayor of uh, of Paris. Uh, we've referenced her a couple of times. She probably needs name checking because uh, she's obviously a force for good. One thing I, I've been wanting to say for a few days since we recorded about a, a lot of cars, right? Because that is the lived experience of people right now. There are a lot of cars on our roads. There are probably more cars on our roads. That's what it feels like than there were before COVID. Um, but uh, and there's, I think there's in our, uh, if you like, in our community, people who are engaged with this subject matter, there's quite a lot of hand wringing about, oh, it's all failed. You know, it was all for nothing. It's all, it's all gone bad. It's all gone rotten much quicker than we thought it would have done. Um, Adam, I I have to credit you with being, you know, very early on when we started doing this podcast, you said there is a big risk when lockdown uh, comes to an end that, that people will just get straight in their cars. And I didn't really see what you meant, but 
turns out you were right. People really do see the car as a solution uh, in the times that we're living in, especially in London. Um, but, so that's a bad bit. What I would like to say in terms of kind of raising morale is that just because there are a lot of cars and there are a lot of people using cars, I actually think there are a lot of people using bikes and a lot of people walking as well. Um, it's just it's just that no one is on the tube and no one is on the train and no one is on the buses and all those millions of people who otherwise would be using those modes aren't. So, so some of them have gone to their motor vehicles, but a lot of them haven't. I, I genuinely think that, you know, it's, it's not an either or, yeah. it's both. Yeah. And I think we remember clearly having those lovely quiet roads and polls have been saying pe most people don't want to go back to the way things were before. And now that cars have come back, it just seems so jarring and loud. And it's just, it feels kind of offensive on your senses. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, that's experienced that. And, I'm, and like you say, a lot of people still out on their bikes despite the conditions and, and the, you know cases. the demand for the demand for new bikes the demand for bike parts the demand for bike repair uh, services uh, is has not relented you know it really hasn't it's as, it's as, um it's as, it's as tough as it ever was if going back a few weeks i was just talking to oh you go mark from down the road again lady what cycles who i keep plugging but um he's telling me that hey. that um inner tubes. He has to sell them now at three times what he was selling them before COVID because the supply chains are dried up. They are massively more expensive than they were because the demand is so great. So get our puncture repair kits out and get old school. And that's, that's the way. So what, what I'm trying to say is it, it is still there. You know, I don't think we should throw our arms up in despair and say that the experiment has failed. No, like it, it's on a knife edge. And I think Chris Boardman said it um, a couple of weeks ago in the media that, you know, what happens now is really going to shape um, shape the future. And I, I, you talked about cars being a solution um, to or people feeling like they're a solution at least. Um, and, and that's sort of fine. I think the conversely, the conversation we need to have, which is a very difficult conversation to have, is that cars are also a problem. Um, and uh, there is... On an individual basis, there isn't a, you know, there isn't an understanding of take, you know, we're seeing saying 300,000 daily journeys are taken under one mile. Um, and yeah, I'm not anti car, um, but like making cars for short journeys is, is, it has to be seen as something that affects other people rather than just, you know, uh, just being something that you do. And also we've got to provide people with better alternatives. And that's the, that's the frustration I've had is we had this once in a lifetime opportunity and we still, you know, we still got the clause of that, um, that we potentially could, could, uh, could still save you in some cities, um, to, to do something different and to reallocate. And the key is reallocate road space. And what we've, what we've ended up with is, is instances where that has been done for a matter of days. Um, and you know, th that argument of the kind of bike lash of, oh, this has caused terrible congestion. So what we should do is find, uh, find a way to not give people any alternatives and just give a little bit more space for car. Those cars that will get filled up more. Um, it just doesn't make any sense in any kind of long-term, um, vision. And we're just, you know, that needs to change. We need to get some sort of boldness through. And the, the government talked about taking on it being quite bold, you know, they've given some councils only 50% of the money they've asked for. And I think to, um, soon they will potentially name and shame them in a list. Um, and I, and I think that they, but they have talked about 
being bolder than that and actually with the statutory guidance almost taking control of councils that don't comply, taking control of the transport teams to make sure they do do what they need to do. And there hasn't been any kind of, um, you know, consequence for, for councils that have not done anything or not done very much yet. And I think that needs to be a change of the status quo from a governmental point of view to change the status quo on our streets as well. I think it's very early days still. And I, I know in, in London, um, stuff has been tweaked as councils have come back with um, plans that are not so not so good. And I would imagine that that's going to happen on a national level as well. That's why they've got two phases. Um, so the first phase for the emergency stuff is going to be, you know, deliver stuff quickly. If councils don't do that, they can reallocate the second phase on. And I think that sort of carrot and stick could be quite powerful potentially. We've also still, you know, you talked about the um the cars being back. You know, there's a there's there's also the very real chance, almost inevitability now of a of a second wave in which we'll have further lockdowns. So um the situation of no cars is is going to be one that we'll see again, unfortunately, you know, given the reasons for that. But um I think the I think the health argument that Wasim was talking to was is very powerful in this crisis and also in the long term and and i yeah and i think it's i think it's important that that's where he's coming from um from a personal perspective as well as um you know politically that that's what he's he's talking to um he um yeah but but i guess i guess it will be in delivery and he said himself councils talking um big talk on on cycling and uh yeah i'm hoping that I'm hoping that they that they can. It is a long term thing, Laura, and I, I I do appreciate that. I think my uh, for anyone who's read the Steve Peters book, The Chimp Paradox, my 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 chimp often thinks that you know this has to be done overnight, and you know you know my my raw emotion is is definitely like we're losing, we're losing, we're losing, and our car dominance has been built up over a series of of, of decades, which is worth remembering. But I would say that. There, in order to grab the narrative and make some bold changes, you ha- there is an element of of urgency. And I'm not; they're obviously different crises. But looking at the Netherlands and the Stop to Kindermord um, uh, movement, that was very powerful, very bold, very quick, uh, and very continued. Um, and that was the catalyst for change. And I think um, we need to very quickly make sure our political leadership follow through with with the 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 the, the kind of words that they've used so far with uh, with deeds, because I think with local, you know, so much of this is reliant on local councils. And Wasim, who we spoke to, is a great example of that being in a positive light from a kind of um, cycling point of view. But there are so many, the vast majority of local councils um, are very apathetic towards cycling. So if you don't get them now and shake them, um, there's a very good chance that they will just go back to what they've always done. Um, a bit of good news um, on, this, on the active travel front. Uh, this week in Manchester, the UK's first Cyclops Junction is opening, which is like a Dutch style um, crossroads, picture it, uh, parallel cycling and walking lanes around the outside. Um, but instead of where the Dutch have this, the pedestrians on the outside of this parallel, they've switched it so that pedestrians are on the inside. 
and by doing so have given have made the crossing times shorter because there's less space to cross and have given time back to cars and I don't know if you know that in, in the UK, basically how we um, calculate the business case for, for road construction is um, how much time does it give to drivers or take away from drivers? And if it takes time away from drivers, it's like computer says no. And um, I was talking to Chris's uh, technical advisor. He was saying you've got like a two year battle on your hands at that stage by switching them around and giving the time back to cars. Um, it's basically like an automatic yes. You save all that time. This is his theory. And so he reckons we can start rolling these out. Um, they're doing them like 20 in Manchester. They've got like 60 in the pipelines. Um, and he reckons it's like an easy win for junctions, obviously junctions like where most collisions happen. So um, he seemed very positive and excited about that. And um, from talking to him, I, I don't know, I feel excited about it too. That is such a that is such a Chris Borman and Brian Deegan thing, isn't it? Like uh, assess the system, assess the status quo, then find something that both not only wins but also you know follows the system that you don't really like that much, and and deliver a solution that works for everybody. I mean, that is that is such a great thing. Yeah, kind of work within those parameters. It wasn't them that came up with it. I think Brian went to some some of the um, engineering people and said, "We have to make this work. Make it work." Um, so, and they were like, oh, well, if we switch this around and he's, he's like, why didn't we think of this 15 years ago? But, um, yeah, it seems very exciting. There's another one coming out in Bolton. They're doing them as part of, um, bus schemes now because they're actually improving journey times for buses. They can do them as part of congestion busting, um, programs. So that means you can apply for funding from congestion funds, from like growth funds where you couldn't before for cycling. So it sounds super exciting to me. If it works, as they say, it will. I think we should do a bit more talking about walking at some point. I think we, we focus. Should. I think we focus um, rightly because it's our passion. I think all three of us on, on on cycling, and and you know, I think I think maybe we need to. Um, I just think I was so struck, Adam, as you rightly said by what Wasim said about three hundred thousand journeys of under a mile. That's not a, that's not a that's not a cycling distance, is it? That's a walking. That's a walking distance, and um, yeah. And there's nothing more accessible than walking for for people who can. I mean, they're, they're, it's literally shoe leather, isn't it? Um, so yeah. so. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Thanks for giving us a bit of a positive spin there, Laura. That was that was very needed. I can't get my head around the Cyclops Junction. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to Google that because it sounds yeah. It's hard to describe, really. I mean, <laughs> maybe I didn't describe it very well, but anyway, there's pictures. Maybe we can share a picture somewhere. Yeah, on the we'll share a picture in the show page. notes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do that. And yeah, I totally agree, Ned. Like walking yeah. is a is a superpower, um, as as people um, people say. So definitely, let's do more of that. Yeah, All right, uh, Adam, thank you very much for getting us out of our metropolitan bubble, if only uh, for a brief visit up to the West Midlands. Thank you very much, Laura, for uh, keeping us all motivated and telling us about the Cyclops. Uh, thank you to uh, Wasim for his excellent contribution. Thanks to you uh, listening at home to our ninth edition. So next time we record, we're going to be double digits and we will come of age. Uh, do keep listening, please. And uh, obviously rate us as well on all the various ratings things because it helps us feel good about ourselves and that's what it's all about uh, thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again next time flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. 
One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.